0: pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to this very special Empire podcast with the great George A. Romero, the man who is, in many ways, the father of modern horror. Known mostly, of course, for his amazing zombie films, his early trilogy, especially of Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, showed that horror films could be used as Trojan horses to hide social commentary in amongst the scares. But he's not just about zombies as anyone who's seen Martin, Creepshow, The Crazies, or even his non-horror films, including The Brilliant and Mad Night Riders will know. George was in London recently to appear at the BFI's Gothic season, and he came in to talk to me and Phil Desimblean about his glittering career, including opportunities missed. Thanks so much by the way to the BFI for making this happen. Enjoy. Uh we are delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the legend that is George A Romero. Hello sir.
1: Hello. Welcome to London. How are you? <laughs> oh, good. It's a bit sort of recovering a little bit from a flight yesterday, but uh Doing fine. Okay. Do
0: you have any tips that you've accrued over the years for how to handle jet lag? And no, get I over don't. It? Oh, okay. I,
1: unfortunately, I don't. Does it just get I worse? Just, it's
0: I, getting worse for me as I, as I <laughs> get older. Is it getting worse for you?
1: Well, everything is getting worse for me as I get older. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but you're in London for the, uh, the BFI Gothic yes. season. Yeah. Which is fantastic, I think, because such a, a, a venerable institution honoring horror films.
1: That's that's great isn't it? That's, the,
0: that's a bit of a breakthrough in a way. It's in, terrific, in a yeah.
1: Way. yeah. No, I listen uh, anytime uh, you know my, uh, we get a like my me that uh, the community <laughs> the community of uh, uh fantasy filmmakers, you know, whenever we we take a little take credit wherever we can get it. <laughs> so it, no, it's it's really terrific. And of course it's Alan Jones is there. Yeah. uh helping out and, Yeah. uh uh, he's a been a real champion of the genre for years. A long time. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And he's you're, you're doing a talk. This will play after the talk is over. But you're doing a talk tomorrow night at the BFI on Friday night.
1: And Dario Argento's in town as well. So yes, I, I yes. presume
0: mm-hmm. you've you've you're hanging out with Dario, or not yet? No, but I'm, I'm
1: sure hoping. to. Yeah, we're having dinner tonight. I I believe. Okay. With Dario. Okay. Yeah. But, and uh, you know we, we we try to see each other whenever we're in the same city. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've worked together actually a couple of times. Yeah. And uh, we made up two halves of a film together called mm. Two Evil Eyes. That's right. Yeah. And he shot one ep- one of the episodes, and I shot the other and uh, then of course he produced uh, Dawn of the Dead Zombie in Italy it was called Zombie in the US it was called uh, Dawn of the Dead Yeah,
0: I was just listening actually as a, as a warm up for this interview because we were very excited about you coming in today and I was listening to the Goblin soundtrack for Dawn of the Dead <laughs> and it's amazing when you listen to that soundtrack on its own and you and people come in and go, oh, this is great! This is quite funky. It's quite jazzy. What is it? And you go, it's a soundtrack to Dawn of the Dead, one of the greatest <laughs> horror movies of all time. It's so atypical. It's completely not what you would expect.
1: No, it is. I know. And well, and we sort of made a deal. I mean, they had done uh, uh, a couple of things with Dario prior mm. to uh, Dawn, and then uh, the deal that we made with Dario was that. Uh, uh, right from the beginning, he said that he would like to ha- to uh, have m- more control. He would let me make the film US English language mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. any way that I wanted and gave me all the creative controls. Yeah. But he wanted to control the non-English language uh, territories because he thought it needed they would need they would want less humor. Yeah. And they would want a different kind of music which was goblins music. Yeah yeah yeah. And uh, so I was I was able to for the English language version use as much or as little of the goblin as I wanted. Mm. And I actually did use uh, a whole eclectic uh, collection of library tracks. Uh, in, to augment, and some of them were much more traditional horror-sounding uh, tracks. Uh, but then I, I, you know, I couldn't resist the, you know, those big, <laughs> uh, ballsy, uh, goblin uh, moments. You know, it's yeah.
2: interesting. I was chatting to to one of our team about about this, and he was saying that you obviously used less goblin on your version than, than Dario did on his. Yeah. And was that a reflection of the fact that you perhaps weren't as big a fan of their sound? But it sounds like you just were a bigger fan of other sounds as well. You yes,
1: exactly. That, that, that's really it. I, not that I... I, I mean, I, I love the sound, but I didn't think that it was appropriate, just as you were saying. Mm. You know, you, you listen to that track and it it doesn't sound like... Uh, I don't think I could have scored the whole film with that kind of music, you know? There
0: are a lot of fiddles on the... On the <laughs> there's, there's,
1: a, there's a lot more
0: violin than you might, have, might expect. And not in a traditional Hitchcock shrieking violin kind no, of way. No, very, no. very much, you know, yeah. hoedown kind of stuff. Yeah.
2: We're going to intersplice this chat with with some questions from our readers um, via Twitter, and just whilst we're on the subject, it seems to make sense to bring up one from at Moose Twenty Three, who wondered if you fell out with Dario Argento after seeing his edit of uh, of Dawn of the Dead.
1: Not at all. No. Yeah. You know, we had the deal from right from the beginning, and we we didn't fall out at all. We had there was a, a little bit of tension, not between us, but between the the distributors on the U.S. side and and uh, the non-English language side, because uh, the the his version was being censored more. Yeah. I think even even here in the U.K., they wanted to cut two and two and a half minutes out of his version, and when. We showed them the version with the jokes in it, with the humor, which basically one of the one of the big things that Dario thought no one would get. But they they came back with only thirty seconds of cuts. Oh, really? Okay. So they felt that the humor, uh, you know, sort of uh, softened the blow. <laughs> I yeah. guess hmm. it, it's
0: um, it's so strange looking back at uh, any uh, furor that, that that Dawn of the Dead caused. Because the, it's so clearly cartoonish, the blood is bright red. Yeah. Unlike Day of *The Dead*, which is very, uh, very gory and 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 very realistic. Yeah. Were, were you surprised at the time by the by the fact that, that *Dawn*
1: caused such a fuss with censors and? Not really, because *The Night of the Living Dead* <laughs> had been slaughtered, you know. <laughs> uh by ebert and a bunch of people who said look how far filmmakers will go if we give them <laughs> enough lead uh it, it was one of the films that they that was used really to in for, by people who were campaigning for some sort of uh mpaa control or some sort of uh you know, in, in-house industry control over um mm not you know never called it, never calling it censorship so no i wasn't very so i wasn't surprised about it uh in fact i sort of expected it because in in my mind even though it was comic booky mm. you know it was comic booky in the old ec comic book sense you know tales from the crypt and all that which they were brutal they were really gory in those days you know People tearing up, you know, a baseball player's heart out and using it for first base. <laughs> uh, so uh, it was, <laughs> it's the kind of stuff that I grew we up with. We laugh on now, here. but. <laughs> yeah, we laugh. <laughs> but see, some of us can laugh at that. I laugh at that kind of stuff. I yeah. know that's. Uh, uh, but uh, a lot of people, you don't know, have to hide their eyes and uh, run from the room.
2: <laughs> you mentioned Roger Ebert wrote a. Very, was it was a damning piece, but not specifically about the film, which he subsequently reviewed and, and said that he really very much liked right. Night of the Living Dead. And I wondered if he'd seen it in a screening in Chicago with a lot of young children because the censorship didn't exist and you could get in at any age to see it. And they right. were traumatized by it. Have you encountered anyone that saw it at an inappropriate early age since then? Who's come up and had a chat with you?
1: no. <laughs> I, I have. I personally haven't. I, uh, no, anyone who's seen it and is still angry, I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I haven't. I didn't know. But uh, I know that was what that was the, the thesis of Rogers, the piece that he wrote, mm. was that this shouldn't be allowed to shouldn't be allowed to show this to young children. You know, along with I, I forget what the double bill was, but uh, I know for a while it went around with Doctor Who. Really? But, uh I don't think that I don't think that's what he was talking about. And, you know, it would go around with Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms and all these sort yeah. of benign uh, um, horror films, you know, of that era. Uh, and
0: you had no control over any this, uh, no. famously, because Night was, uh, I, I guess, a thorny issue for you in terms of the rights. You you lost. Control well, the rights very yeah.
1: that wasn't that happened later. Right? Okay. No, one, no one realized that we didn't have a copyright uh, on the film. Because our initial title, when we got distribution, our initial title was Night of the Flesh Eaters. Mm-hmm. And uh, Walter Reed, the, the, the eventual distributor, um, when th- there was a, f- a film currently, or a couple of years earlier, called The Flesh Eaters. Mm-hmm. And so they figured we needed to change the title to avoid confusion with that. And so it, their title was Night of the Living Dead. We, as uh, you know, aspiring filmmakers who didn't really know what to do had put the copyright bug on the title. So when they changed the title, the oh, uh-huh. bug came off. Yeah. And nobody noticed, we didn't notice, they didn't notice, and you know. It went out and it played for the first couple of years and actually returned money. Very unusual turn of events. I mean we haven't gotten money back on any other film since. <laughs> uh so <laughs> Uh, and it, you know, it returned pro- approximately four times its budget.
0: Well, it's and interesting because you, you know, since then, Knight has gone through this interesting uh, uh, journey, I guess. There have been different versions of it. And um, one of our Twitter uh, uh, Twitter followers has asked, Bertie D asks, "What do you think of the unauthorized version with the new score and new scenes?" I, I imagine. Have you seen it? Is that something that you?
1: I don't. I haven't seen it. I yeah. know ja- John Russo did a, a yeah. version, I think, thirtieth anniversary or something mm-hmm. with new music. Yeah and with some uh, additional sequences, which I didn't like at all. And we've since (laughs) talked about it. I I really didn't think it was necessary at all. And he wasn't doing that to try to establish a copyright. We did a remake that Tom Savini directed. That was an attempt to establish uh, a copyright. Mm -hmm. But of course, all we did was establish the copyright on the the remake. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we also did a colorized version, again an attempt to... I mean, we authorized a colorized version. Yeah. Uh, which, again, I thought it was ridiculous, but, you know, the company is still owned by a, a group of in, the initial investors. And so it's sort of, uh, you know, the. <laughs> majority rules when it comes to okay. decisions like that.
0: But but the the film is screening at the BFI as part of, I think, after yeah. your talk tomorrow night. Yeah, I
1: hope it's the original film. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Uh, when was the last time you saw it? I mean, do you revisit it very often? Or uh, uh, No, as infrequently as possible. I mean, I often have to see it. Yeah. Uh, th- thankfully, this time, I'm not going to be forced to sit in the theatre. <laughs> so, Lock the uh, exits and make sure you <laughs> can't get yeah, out. no. So, uh, I no, I don't, you know, all I see are the mistakes in it, the basic little filmmaking 101 errors, mm-hmm. eye lines and screen directions and uh, all that stuff that I wasn't quite uh, secure with when when I made that film. So
0: you can't necessarily see what other people see in it uh, over the years? and
1: I've never sort of been able to see all of it, everything that people see in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, the, 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 big, the big premise is that it was it's, it's a, that it was meant by us, the filmmakers, to be a, a racial film, a racial statement. Which, of course, it wasn't. When we wrote the when we wrote the script, John and I wrote the script, John Russo. The character of Ben was a, a white guy; he mm-hmm. was Caucasian, and the same things happened to him. We didn't change the script, so he still got shot by the posse. <laughs> Mistaking him for a zombie, they yeah. they didn't shoot him because he was black. They yeah. shot him because they thought he was a zombie, but uh, obviously it became uh, you know a, a sort of a landmark racial statement uh-huh. uh, film, and uh, you know it was it was uh, partly the the times that, you know, when it was released. I mean, uh, Russ Striner, uh, the the producer and old friend of mine. Uh, we were driving the very first print, still called Night of the Flesh Eaters, in the trunk of the car to New York. And on the night when we were driving it to New York, uh, that was the night that we heard on the radio Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Wow. And so that was the time, you know. Yeah. And there was rioting again, which hadn't been happening for a while. and yeah. And um, so, you know, it was, I guess, you should have expected that it that it was going to be treated uh, because of uh, uh, Dwayne being uh, black. What mm-hmm. was the reaction
0: like at the time? Because it's hard to imagine now that, that people might, if, if that film were released in today's uh, society, people wouldn't necessarily react strongly to that film, but at the time... What was reaction like?
1: Well, uh, of course, it sparked a, a great deal of anger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but not, a, I don't think that, you know, all the things that people, well, the people that were writing all of this about the film and how important it was for different reasons, uh, were writing it three years after the fact, or two or three years after the fact. People were discovering it and finding things in it that we didn't know were in it. <laughs> uh, and... um So initially when it went out, it was just this uh, horror film. And I think it did, you know, it did what we wanted it to do, which was push the envelope a little bit on the splatter and on the themes, you know, the disintegration of family. And, you know, it's a dark, it's a dark film. Mm. And uh, so I I think that uh, people who were outraged by it were outraged by it either as roger ebert was because it was being shown to kids there were no restrictions then or people were just enjoying it i mean it made money it made quite a lot of money in neighborhood theaters and drive-ins and and uh, like that with with a limited number of prints
2: it seemed like a lot of what ebert was saying and ebert was saying in that particular review was that that there's no catharsis at the end of the film that that was that that kind of up the ante for everyone that was watching it. That it made it harder to digest the horror that came before because there's no moment where everything works out okay. But that that must have tied into how people in America were feeling at that time with the Detroit riots and Vietnam etc. happening around.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I guess so. But of course, one of the things that I really wanted to do, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, you make a horror film to upset the apple cart, right? And uh, most films were setting the apple cart up again at the end, uh, <laughs> setting it up right. And we just didn't want to do that, you know? We just said, wow, man, I mean, what would happen in this situation? Mm. They would shoot the guy, yeah, uh, even though he's a hero, you know? And uh, th- that was it. So we were conscious of that. I mean, we, that was a conscious decision. Mm. And it's funny, because then when, when I wound up finally doing Dawn of the Dead, mm. which was 10 years later, I called them zombies, first of all. I didn't call them zombies ever in Night of the Living Dead. I didn't think they were zombies. Zombies aren't dead. And uh, I thought I was doing a new thing, you know, have yeah. bringing the dead back to life and making a new monster. But it turns out all I did was, uh, you know, turn the zombies into neighbors instead of... Uh, <laughs> uh, so. Uh,
0: but with Dawn, you were, you were talking about 10 years later, and yeah. that's that's got a much more... Interesting. It's not quite optimistic because uh, at the end, when Pete and Fran get away, they're still very much in a world filled with zombies, and their their life expectancy might not be great. But you you keep them
1: alive at the end of the movie. I did, and it was a dis- we actually shot <laughs> thinking of it as a sequel. Mm. I mistakenly said, "Well, they all have to die because <laughs> it's a <laughs> sequel tonight. They'll be dead." Yeah. And. Um, during the f- making of the film, I-, I fell in love with these couple of characters, and I-, and I reasoned exactly that. Well, I could leave the world in chaos, and they can get away, at least for a moment. Yeah. You know, his last line, uh, Peter's last line is, how much gas do we have? Hmm. And she says, not much. Yeah. <laughs> and he just says, okay, let's see what happens. So you perhaps know?
0: they just go out of shot and then crash. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the true ending of Don of the dead revealed a long last but, but we
1: we actually had we actually wrote an ending where they died. He shoots himself, yeah, uh which he almost does mm-hmm. um but thinks better of it in the release version of the film mm-hmm. and she commits suicide in the hel- helicopter blades yeah mm. but um anyway. And
0: but, but if you had gone down that route, we've been we've been robbed of that wonderful. I think it's a bit of library music, isn't it? When Peter decides to suddenly yeah. fight back and, and yeah, escape. Yeah. And I love that that, that track. It's a, <laughs> an amazing track. Um, but it's interesting you talking about characters because uh, we recently did a thing on the website George called the 666 Greatest Horror Movie Characters of All Time, all right. and about twenty or thirty came from your movies. Oh, and uh, so Peter was number four. Bub from Day of the Dead was number 17 something no. like that and uh, and a lot of your great iconic characters were in there so which is your favourite you know looking back on all these characters you've created over the years do you have one that stands out
1: I think Bub uh, is my favourite uh, of all of the ones that I've done mm-hmm. he's got to be I thought his uh, Howard's performance was uh, really Carloff, worthy, and uh, I, I just thought he was terrific, and I, I, you know, I like what he stands for, and uh, I, that's my favorite of my zombie films, Day of the Dead, actually. Yeah. So, that's easy for for me to uh, find a, a soft spot in my heart for Bub. I don't know who else. I mean, maybe some of the lesser characters. I can't imagine my, my, any of my human characters being...
0: Oh, they made it. They made it. <laughs> Ro- Rhodes was on the list. Oh, well, I Rhodes, mean, you see. You know. the
1: villains, of course. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Rhodes was on the list. Ben was on the list. Uh, Martin was on the list. You didn't make, Your cameo for Martin didn't make it, sadly, but uh, <laughs> he would be 667 on, <laughs> on, on the list. I
1: could see Martin, too. But see, that's what I'm saying. Well, I guess he is, in the end, a human character. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah <laughs> precisely.
2: George, we have a question from at mainstream Matt who wonders when the last time you were scared in a movie was.
1: In a movie, you know, I have to go way all the way back to the thing from another world. Uh, you know, I guess I was about twelve or fourteen, I, I, uh, and um, that's that's scared the pants off me. But that, and I, you know, ever since then, I guess I've just always sort of been aware of, of, uh, that it's only a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Short, right around that same time, I went to see, uh, an aunt and uncle of mine took me to see The Tales of Hoffman, Michael Powell's Tales of Hoffman. Mm -hmm. And I was so enamored of, of it. it's partly a fantasy film, Mm -hmm. but the audience doesn't know it, it's opera. It's an opera based on... It's based on an Offenbach opera. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's I think, the first music video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, all sung... And it's all opera and ballet with a couple of ballet sequences added from, uh, I think, Boutique Fantasque. And, you know, I should have been bored to tears by this, but it was a fantasy first. It was a fantasy. that stories are... Uh, fantastic uh, um, tales uh, of uh, unrequited love mm. he falls in love with a vampire and with a robot and uh, the, the way I saw it as a kid and so I was fascinated by it. I could also see what he was doing I could see the techniques that he was using printing film printing, printing film in reverse using double exposures mm. uh, obvious things that made me realize that I, and made me believe that I could maybe do this someday. And it's really what started me thinking that um, I'm, I, I never thought that I would ever have a career because I thought you had to be born royalty, but yeah. uh, I, I started thinking that I could possibly do it or try mm. to do it, and I started to try to do it with my uh, the same uncle, uh, his eight little eight millimeter camera. Wow. And uh, so I was very aware of technique, and, and I think that that really made me immune to horror, <laughs> scares.
2: Yeah. Did you meet Michael Powell?
1: Once, yes. I finally got to meet him. Uh, we had dinner one evening. He, a he, uh, mutual friend, um, was was uh, a mutual friend of Thelma. Marty Scorsese's editor yes. is Thelma Sc- Schumacher. Mm. Uh, who w- was married for uh, you know uh, not long enough to, unfortunately, yeah. to, to Michael for yeah. a time, and we we got to meet and had a wonderful, just a great old time talking about movies.
0: Did you tell him? <laughs> did you tell him that you know, as a kid, oh, he God. shaped mm-hmm. your career?
1: <laughs> I was uh, I was just a complete fanboy. <laughs> 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 Is it
0: true, uh, George, as well that you had? not quite a run-in, but you had a shared interest in Tales of Hoffman with Scorsese. Yes. As well.
1: <laughs> Funny story. Uh, I, I used to... Back in the day, you could the only way you could have a movie on your wall at home was to go rent a projector, a 16 millimeter projector, and rent a print. And so uh, Janus Films, uh, I used to go down to Manhattan and uh, rent from Janus Films, The Tales of Hoffman, and look at it over and over and over. And um, it was always available. It was never, you know, if you went for one of the popular films, you know, the chances <laughs> were you'd be disappointed it would be out, Yeah. like any rental library. And well, one day, it was it was out. And I said, who's got it? And the guy said, I don't know. He didn't know. <laughs> Some kid over in Brooklyn. Okay. So it happened again. And after this happened two or three times, then apparently that kid from Brooklyn started to complain when when I had it out. And apparently we were the only two people that were ever taking this film out. <laughs> and that kid turned out to be Marty Scorsese.
0: Wow. Amazing. And have you ever had a conversation with him about that? Yes, That's we have. That? Yeah, yeah,
1: we have. We shared some good laughs over that.
0: It's interesting because we started off talking about your relationship with uh, Dario Argento. And um, there was this great, uh, I was going to say coven, of horror directors in the 70s. It was John Carpenter, Wes Craven, David Cronenberg, people like that. Um, Did you ever hang out in a way? You've always seemed in a way separate from those guys.
1: I guess, yeah. Well, I was in Pittsburgh. Yeah, you were in Pittsburgh. (laughs) And you started
0: before any of them as well, which... Uh, About six or seven years before Carpenter. and Really? Wasn't
1: yeah. David doing... Oh, he what? was doing
0: experimental stuff with his... his I, yeah. I guess, yeah. Yeah, he didn't really start until... And the
1: Carpenter, 70s. when When did he do... 70, 73,
0: 74, he would start,
1: so... Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Guess. <laughs> guess I'm the grandpa. But... Um, More the uncle, I would say. <laughs> anyway... Um, no, we never hung out too much. I, I hung out for a time. It, it's always happenstance, you know. Mm. It's, uh, um, um, it was, th- th- again, through a mutual friend, a Pittsburgher named Tom Atkins, yeah. who uh, worked in a couple of Carpenter films, that I met John. Mm. And through him, I met Adrienne. And, you know, it's it's this sort of incestuous thing that goes on. But so John and I hung out for with Adrienne and for several years and we still email each other and yeah. uh, um so we have the, that kind of uh relationship and wes i see uh you know occasionally dario of course but i, I don't know i'm not you know most of the rest of the time it's sort of you know ships passing yeah uh, uh that's it you know john water's uh when, you know, I think the most I've ever done is have a beer with them. But um, we've met several times, but it's usually at a, some sort of a f- festival or a convention, you know, a horror, one of these horror conventions. Mm. I, I go to these conventions and I, a bunch of old friends are there. You know, <laughs> Savini's always there. And uh, But we never get a chance to hang out because, you know, we just sit. At the autograph tables. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's it. Bust in and then bust out again. That's yeah, that's
2: pretty much. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned Pittsburgh. You moved you moved there off to New York and went to college there, didn't you? Yes. Carnegie kind of yeah. Mellon. Yeah. and then you stayed. Yeah. Was it was that an easy decision to make? You just put down roots and wanted to be there and, and a great place to make films or
1: Yes, it was an easy decision. And actually I fled New York. I mean I I, I never really knew Manhattan except to go down to Janice to rent a movie and um so i grew up in the bronx and uh i was um i i was a latino my dad was uh, from cuba and so you know i was sort of i was you know one of the the, the sharks and the jets were always uh, beating me up so. <laughs> <laughs> uh so i really had not a very good time growing up in new york there and i was always interested in you know screwy things and making little 8 millimeter movies and so you know i wasn't popular that way at all and so i was happy to get out and uh happy to stay in pittsburgh and met where i met a bunch of people for the first time who were interested in the- and actually studying theater and um so you know friendships developed uh among them were the you know the the guys the, the image 10 people that mm. you know we uh, we remain friends to this day there is currently uh, a, a a theatrical uh, live theater uh, production of night of living dead going on right now in in Toronto where i live now yeah and um so you know i saw russ and jack and the boys were up to promote that and you know great friendships uh long-term friendships that developed over that period
0: and now you you live in toronto as you said Yeah, uh, you moved there after land of the dead did you fall in love with the city or
1: during actually well actually yeah. i i fell in love with the city when i made i made a little film called bruiser oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. prior to that yeah. and uh, did all the work in in uh, toronto and fell in love with the c- crew and the uh, crews and you know, i thought the work ethic was phenomenal And Pittsburgh, for a while, was sort of a production center, a lot of Hollywood uh, uh, films were coming in there, Um, and then all of a sudden it dried up. And so many of my friends uh, left, had to leave, uh, because they couldn't make a career in in Pittsburgh. Mm. And so I was the next one to go, I guess. we had uh, we we had a little bit of money. We well we had a five million dollar budget from Canal Plus to make Bruiser. Mm-hmm. Found out that in Canada that, that five turned into six. Mm-hmm. Well, wow. mm-hmm. and uh, went to Canada, and and I just fell in love with the place, uh, Toronto. And um, then when Land of the Dead happened, I I moved back and basically have stayed around.
0: So you don't have to be in Hollywood these days. Okay. I you never, never did you never were yeah.
1: <laughs> i never I never was i made I made two studio films for Orion, which some will say that it's not really a studio <laughs> uh, but uh, it was supposed to be the filmmaker's studio and I actually had a I had a very hard time with those guys right at that time they were in bad shape they were going they made all the the wrong decisions on their the films that they liked and films they didn't like sold off all the good ones and hung on to the Mm. bad ones and um, that was it and then um, so I've only made those two films Creepshow was distributed by Warner Brothers but it uh, was financed by uh, uh, United Distribution the same guys that financed Knight Riders and and, uh, small independent uh, financing for Creepshow and then Warner Brothers picked it up and in fact Land of the Dead Was uh, done with a with a small again an independent producer Mark Canton, and Universal picked it up. Yeah. So I've only done those two films for Orion.
0: So have you ever uh, put yourself through the studio mill uh, over the years? I mean, I know that the Mummy was something that almost happened for you, and that was with Universal, wasn't it? Or was that an independent project? Yes,
1: that was Universal. Yeah. Uh, And we we almost had it. Yeah. Uh but couldn't get out. Yeah, no, I was uh, did the whole studio scene writing th- uh, my partner and I um Peter Grunwald we we were out there for years, you know, 4 or 5 years writing scripts, writing screenplays, rewriting screenplays. Made more money than I've ever made in my entire the rest of my career, yeah. but never made a film. Yeah. And it was in reaction to that uh uh, and, you know, misunderstandings and things, you know, MGM was pri- promised to make a film called Before I Wake and had a lot of money invested in it. And, and uh, you know, one of the executives there said, uh, you know, I'll, st- I'll put step in front of a bus if we don't make this movie. Wow, that's nice. So, yeah. He never did step in front <laughs> of the bus. <laughs> but they didn't make the movie. And that's what kept, We had, there were only 12 days left on that contract. And that's what kept us from doing The Mummy. Because The Mummy was green-lit. Universal green-lit The Mummy. Right. N- not The Mummy that was eventually made. Mm. It was a-, a screenplay that I wrote yeah, much closer to the uh, uh, Karloff. You know, they wouldn't let us out of the contract on Before I Wake. And then it became a pissing contest between the two studios. So, <laughs> Wow. It, that one blew up, and that's one of the we goosebumps i mean we worked on so many big projects and rewrote them for different stars and and you know and it you just got a real taste of what that process is like and it you just spend you know spend your life sort of on the, on the edge of hope hmm. uh, and um Nothing. Nothing ever happened. And in, in response to that, that's why I wrote this little. I wrote Bruiser. Yeah. The, the, I said I can do this for not so much money, and we raised the money from Canal Plus and went to Canada and shot it.
0: Because there's a. A whole raft of unmade George Romero projects, yeah, uh, that are out there. You know, a, a apartment living, for example, yes. is that something which is a, about an apartment? Um, correct me uh, if I'm wrong. Uh, that uh, is is alive. It's and alive. caves yeah. blood. Yeah.
1: <laughs> How did that not get made? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it Beats me. Yeah. Couldn't sell it. You know. I, I mean, we just couldn't sell it. I, I guess the, it was, again, largely comedic, and you yeah. know, at that time, and still, I think that. that People feel that you can't mix horror and comedy. Uh, you know, then somebody proves proves that theory wrong, and mm. a lot of them come back and get made. Yeah. But we, in that case, we could never uh, revisit that uh, because it was owned by somebody else initially. The the rights were owned by somebody else. I had just written the screenplay. Okay, and then um, uh, oh, a bunch of them, the Moon shadow, a project called Moon Shadows, which I still love. Uh-huh. Uh, a project that uh, and a project called uh, before I, well before I Awake, We still have a bunch of them, yeah, there's, <laughs> and there's... some of which my partner and I still own and still have some hopes for. But you know, you get so tired of, of uh, kicking around, and you know, I at this point I don't have time to sit around and you know spend two or three years developing something. Sure. And, uh, I, I just don't have the time to do that anymore <laughs> if I'm I'll be if I'm lucky I'll make you know one or two more films and right now zombies seem to be uh, over uh, populating the uh, the <laughs> landscape I'm surprised there's none in here so, now <laughs> 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 we yeah. scratched hard enough <laughs> uh, anyway so I'm doing a comic book right now yeah it's my way sort of, uh, of escaping
0: this is Empire of the Dead yeah with Marvel it, Empire yeah. of the Dead for Marvel yeah
1: that's yeah. uh
0: and that's not going to be a film at any point. This is something that you uh, purely conceived. As a I wouldn't comic book. say that. I would say never. Far. Okay,
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's sir, I, I I I'm actually writing it in screenplay form on on a screenplay writing program, which Marvel said was okay. So that when when uh, Peter and I come come away, we'll have it'll be huge. It'll be like a three hundred pager, but because oh. it's fifteen books. Well. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, I would, I would uh, hope that maybe it could become, you know, possibly a TV series, or I don't know. Okay, Let's see. A
2: lot of people want to know how your novel is going at the moment. Are you still working on that?
1: Uh, I've, you know, I pick it up and abandon it every once in a while. I, I I've, I haven't, you know, been able to fully commit to it. Uh, I just, you know, I guess I keep in the back of my mind, say, okay, one of these days. I'll just, you know, stop kicking around and just sit and write. and uh, But I haven't really been able to do that. But
0: uh, At Few from the Lou 3, ignore the name, <laughs> asks, uh, <laughs> the likes of Knight Riders and Martin are as brilliant as your other, other films, the zombie films. Will you ever direct a non-zombie film again? Is that something that you're working on, I guess, specifically now, or...? Specifically, no, no, okay.
1: no. I don't. I have a couple of these projects that I, I that I just mentioned that Peter and I still control, yep. and one, a couple of them, I would really like to do. And they're they're both non-zombie films. Mm. One never knows, you know. Mm. As I say, it's all about you know finding the money and taking taking that time. And it's always, particularly these days, it's it's impossible. No one wants to hear about a twenty million dollar budget. It's got to either be two million or two hundred million mm. uh, that's the only sort of interesting uh that <laughs> interesting way for uh, studios to to think, or to get interested mm. and so uh, that's that's pretty frustrating uh, It's hard to go down the middle of the road you know and and you know raise well, I can do this for eighteen well no one's going to be impressed. Yeah, it means no stars. It means no big CG budget, you know, mm. and uh, that, that's the way they see it. But mm. you have
0: had visions in the past that are equally as epic as, say, for example, World War Z, which came out this year, and um, you know, your your original script for Day of the Dead mm. was enormous. Yeah, and would have been just <laughs> just huge. Um, do you regret in the way that that didn't happen? Because you you've said, and Day of the Dead is my favorite of your movies as well, right? Um, and that movie now to me seems so perfect in in retrospect that maybe the the original script might not have turned out as well. Or do you think?
1: I think it wouldn't have. Yeah. I, I that's that's partly. What, I mean, I you know that decision. The the uh, again United Film of that they're the ones that that financed that. And it really was not. It was. It looked like about s- between six and seven that we could do it. Okay. Again, small, independently uh, done. It was a lot more in Florida, so. We never really ran ran you know, numbers, you know, we never really cut it that fine. But it looked like we could do it for a six and a half, seven. They wouldn't do it unrated at, at that budget. And they said, well, if you want to go unrated again, because they had released Dawn of the Dead bravely, I would say, un, unrated in the States, uh, and uh, in order to leave it alone. And so... Uh, I decided that well I'd rather go in and cut this down so that we can do it. They said their ceiling was three if we wanted to do an unrated film, and so I said I'll cut it down and do it for three. Well, wow. and I think it was the the best decision that you know it was sort of forced on me, but it was a great decision because it it's cleaner, it uh, it it makes all the points that the that the the longer uh, I wouldn't say longer, but uh, bigger, bigger scope didn't add anything. Yeah,
0: more characters, and more, you cut a lot of characters out. Yeah, and, yeah. right. And i um, gonna let you go in a second, George, but uh, you mentioned Night Riders there. Yeah. And uh, when we mentioned you on Twitter, there was a lot of love, and I love that film as well, There's a lot of love for Night Riders. Do you, find, you. Have you. Is that something that you found has grown over the years? Because I got the impression that the, uh, when it came out that it was... People expected you, they pigeonholed you as the horror guy. And then you come out with this bizarre, weird, modern-day Arthurian tale (laughs) with Ed Harris. And people didn't know what to make of it initially. Oh, I know. They didn't.
1: But (laughs) they didn't know what to make of Day of the Dead either, you know. They wanted a remake of Dawn. And so all anybody wants me to do is remake Dawn, man. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, that's almost as far as it goes. I love Knight Riders. I mean, it's one of my... Uh, Martin is my favorite film of mine. Okay. And Night Riders uh, runs a very close second. Mm-hmm. And Day is my favorite of my zombie films. But um I didn't know what to expect going into that. And of course Ed was marvelous. Ed Harris was really sensational and I don't think it would have worked without him.
2: Is it true you uh, you were married on set of Night Riders? <laughs> on the last day of filming? <laughs> Yes, that must have been a hell of a rap party.
1: <laughs> no, it was. It was just convenience.
0: And uh, and that movie fostered your relationship with Ed Harris, and then you were able to persuade him to cameo in Creepshow.
1: I know, and I understand and that's uh, going viral. Right? It's going viral. Seeing yeah. Ed Harris dancing is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have to ask you, how the hell did you get Ed Harris to dance? <laughs> Was in the script, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I and mean, he did it. He, he he did his own little n- number, and you know all his mo- Those moves were.
0: Oh, I thought maybe you showed him those moves. And, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I couldn't do that, <laughs> even then. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, George, it has been an absolute pleasure, sir. And uh, best of luck with the uh, the talk at the BFI and uh, Empire you. of the Dead and everything. Thank you. Thank you very, much, very much.
1: Thank you.